0: We are continuing in our series through the Gospel of John, which we've been in for a year and a half, and next Sunday will actually be our final Sunday in that journey through the Gospel of John. But this morning, we are reading about an interaction that occurs between Peter and Jesus after Jesus' resurrection, which we celebrated last Sunday. Uh, and so we're going to read this, this uh, account, and then we have a story. That we're going to share this morning to go along with it. So, if you have a Bible, you can turn with me in your Bibles to John 21, verse 1, and we'll pick up there in a moment. And the backstory leading up to this moment is that Jesus, uh, after being put to death by the Jewish authorities and sacrificing himself for the sin of the world, was laid in a tomb, which was uh, in the end well guarded, but he didn't stay dead. Uh, and there's there's actually a bit of debate as to what where Jesus was during those days, so to speak, and what he was doing, uh, which I personally find kind of interesting. Um, but in any case, on the third day, uh, we know that Jesus resurrected, that God raised him from the dead in a new uh, resurrection body, and he appears first to Mary. Uh, and then to some of the women uh, that had gone to put spices on what they thought would be a dead body. And then he appears to a larger sort of core group of disciples who are alone, and he does that at least twice. We looked at that last week. Uh, One, we know Thomas wasn't there, and the other, uh, Thomas had the benefit of being there. Um, And uh those were back to back the week the day he was resurrected, and then a week later they got to encounter him again. And now uh, some amount of time has passed. It's not really clear how many days or weeks have passed since uh Jesus has come back from the dead, but this is what we read next in john twenty one uh verse one. It says this: afterward, in other words, after those those multiple appearances or some time later. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, "Friends, haven't you any fish?" "No," they answered. He said, "Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some." Then he when he, when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. This is a repeat of a miracle Jesus did uh, years before. When Uh, Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals, uh, and there was fish on it, and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. back into relationship with Jesus uh, and uh, back in, uh, in sort of commissioned, recommissioned, so to speak, for the kingdom of God. He's put on a new trajectory in life through this interaction that he has with Jesus. Uh, and a few weeks ago, as I was sort of reading ahead and reading the stories and the verses and thinking about them, I came across this story of Jesus, who's or sorry, Peter, who's you know, walking with Jesus, but then comes to this place of denying Jesus and, and walking away, and then Jesus coming, and he encounters the resurrected Jesus and is restored back into relationship, and I was just thinking about Peter's story and what we would want to kind of highlight as we're teaching through this, and as I was thinking about it, uh, I actually thought about David and his story. And was kind of thinking on that and thinking, wow, there's actually some powerful similarities between David's story um, and, and Peter's story. And as I was kind of thinking on that over the course of a couple of days, David actually approached me and said, hey, um, I really feel like uh, I ought to kind of share my testimony in, in some, at, at some point with the church. And I said, oh, okay. Well, why don't, why don't you do it uh, now, right after Easter, as we. Uh, cover these verses. And so the two things sort of came together in my mind. Uh, and so rather than me unpacking these verses this morning and doing a normal exegetical teaching, uh, I'm just going to invite David to the front, and he's going to share his story. And I think through the course of him sharing his story, you're going to see the parallels, and uh, we're going to hear a bit of uh, the glory of God put on display in the way that he encountered uh, the living God and resurrected Jesus. So um, let's give it up for David. I'm gonna hand the mic over in a second, but I thought I might pray for you first. Yeah, okay. Jesus, thank you for David, and thank you for the way you've been uh, at work in his life as the resurrected Lord. And we pray now, Lord, that um, you would fill David, that you would give him the words to speak, you would um, sort of guide him as the good shepherd through his own story and help him to see uh, and to share the ways that uh, you've been at work in his life so that we might all enjoy you together this morning. And we pray these things in the power of the Spirit and in Jesus' name, amen.
1: Wow. A few years ago, I never thought I'd be in this position, I'll tell you that much. Where to start? My name is David.
2: The man that you see before you is not the man that I was many years ago. You see some new faces here in the church. That's my support staff, my family and friends that have stuck with me through many years. Uh,
1: This is my story of forgiveness, salvation, restoration. It's an emotional story. Probably break down a number of times uh, because God broke my heart when He says that He will take a stony heart and give you heart of flesh. I understand that. Bear with me. Some of you,
2: when I entered this church, asked me questions about where I came from what my background was, why I moved here. And I was evasive and elusive. I was vague because I was ashamed of my past. My past was because I'd been in prison for 22 and a half years.
1: By rights, I should still be in prison. This is my story. In Galatians
2: 5, 1921, it tells us about the works of the flesh. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. I believe I even
1: invented some that aren't listed. This is my story. I was raised in Montana, kind of a poor family
2: but they loved the Lord. We went to church. Every time the church doors were open, had Bible studies in the house, this is what I knew. Uh,
1: I loved the Lord. I was baptized, I believe, when I was eight years old. Uh, I just thought that's the way life was. As I got a little older, uh,
2: I was 11 years old, I got sent to summer camp. I'd never been to summer camp, didn't want to go, cried when my folks put me in the car for them to take me. Of course, once I got there, I enjoyed it. I loved it, playing with other kids and activities, sports, outdoors. And when the time came to go home, I didn't want to go home. But as the folks were driving me home, the house that I lived in, you could actually see from the highway, and they drove right on by my house. I said, what's going
1: on? He said, well, you don't live there anymore. They took me a few miles down the road and to this other place I'd never been. My dad's standing outside the doorway. He's waiting for me. I get out. I said, where's mom? Where's mom? And dad's tearing up. He says, well, she's not here anymore. Where's mom? She left. So Dad and I, he was a broken man at that point, kind of lost his faith for a while. Uh, we struggled because both of us were broken. And uh, then the next year when I was 12, Mom came back.
2: She'd remarried, and over the course of time, the, the man she married, Glenn, was a better father to me than my own father was. But I had lost my trust in my parents because they'd lied to me, they'd abandoned me, and I felt that somehow it was my fault. So during that course of that time when when mom was gone and dad was emotionally a wreck, I began to steal, vandalize, rob, destroy,
1: do everything I could. Little things.
2: Those little things added up. My course started right then on a trajectory of self-destruction. As I got a little older, I was exposed to pornography,
1: sexual activity, and that's where I found my affirmation was in that life. Through high school, I was into sports and into girls, and I took advantage of both of them. I uh, got married young, right out of high school. Thought that's what everybody was supposed to do.
2: Uh, my wife and I had a couple of years where I guess we were monogamous. I don't know. I don't know. The, didn't know the name of the reason for the term, but I was never faithful. I didn't
1: understand the term. Uh,
2: shortly, we got into the open lifestyle. Some of you understand what that is. Multiple partners, many partners. My wife uh, was a professional woman. uh, and In order to move up, we had to transfer, relocate to different areas. So we left Missoula, Montana and went to Seattle. Our friends and the people that we surrounded ourselves with were in the lifestyle. That was our friends. If they weren't in the lifestyle, we didn't want to know them. We went from Seattle to Salt Lake City again Seeking out the people that shared our interests. In Salt Lake City, we were approached
1: to participate and make adult movies. It was just the next
2: logical step. So we both participated in that a little bit. My wife at the time kind of bowed out, but she would still support it, still promote it but I jumped in with both feet. I did that for a number of years. Surrounded myself with like-minded people that their morals and their integrity
1: and their wholesomeness supported the lack of my own. I
2: was still thieving and stealing, still vandalizing a little bit, doing everything that I wanted to do. What felt good to me, I did. I had no restraints, uh, didn't understand that. We ended up back in Seattle again. From Seattle, we ended up here in Spokane. And obviously our our life was continuing down this road of degradation. Uh, We couldn't understand it. Uh, In the course of that time, uh, I got divorced because I had no restraints and
1: through the course of time more
2: pornography, more addiction to the point that in 2000 three of us committed a series of crimes
1: where we abducted, kidnapped and violently assaulted Some beautiful women. I can't imagine that. The life that I led, I didn't even understand that that was wrong. Shortly thereafter, about nine days later, we were arrested. Charged, convicted, and I was sentenced to 25 years in prison. Was angry. There's something I have to back up on here. My mother, uh,
2: in the mid '90s, I guess, when I was in the middle of in the middle of probably some of the worst of it, pulled me aside. She was always talking to me about coming back to the Lord. Said, "You weren't raised this way. You know better. Jesus loves you. He wants you to come back." But I'd lost my faith, and I'd lost my trust in my mother. And I'd been, I'd been beaten up, I'd been in a car wreck, I'm in a cast, I'm in pretty rough shape, and I'm at home working on the house. And uh, she's sitting there talking to me about Jesus Christ. She knew, the, she knew a part of my life. She knew parts of what were going on. And she says,
1: David, you're going down the wrong road. God wants you to come back. And uh, I
2: said some very hurtful things to my mother, some things that a child should never say to their mother. I renounced God in front of her.
1: I told her I don't believe in this. God hears. What has he ever done for me? I told her that if you keep talking to me about
2: Jesus Christ, I'll never come home again. And I meant it. And she knew I meant it. She says, all right, I won't talk to you about Jesus Christ again, but I'll pray for you more often. Sarcastically, I said, you do that. You pray to that God of yours for me. It was at that time in my life that I actually felt, I can look back on it, and I felt God take his protective hand off of me. And things in my life began to unravel. I began to drink more. I got involved in sexual perversion further than... I had been before. There's things that I did that only God and I know about.
1: Uh, This was before my crime. So I ended up in prison, looking at 25 years. Hating the world, hating myself, angry, angry at everybody.
2: So I became a convict. I did things in prison to be a convict. I smuggled drugs, I mule drugs, I fought. I had 37 major write-ups in 10 years. Major write-ups are criminal activity inside a prison. Because of that criminal activity, I actually extended my time. I was given more time, more time, more time, to the point that I should never have gotten out of prison. I shouldn't be here. I physically assaulted a number of people. I put a couple people in in the hospital. They will be handicapped for life because of my anger, my wrath. To say I was on a path of self-destruction is
1: very weak. There's a scripture in Romans that I want to read. It's Romans 1. Although they knew
2: God, they did not glorify him as God nor were thankful but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. That's me. I knew God. I'd known God.
1: I'd experienced the love of God and I had physically, verbally
2: renounced him in my life. Protesting to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things, in my case, sexual perversion. Therefore, God gave
1: them up. Some scriptures say abandoned them.
2: God gave them up, He abandoned them to uncleanness, to the lusts of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever, amen. For this, for this reason, God gave them up. This is the second time. God abandoned them because of their continued seeking after
1: wickedness. And then it goes on down. God gave them up again. God gave them over to their choices. I... Uh, I continued that
2: path of destruction uh, in prison. And I believe God, I absolutely understand that God took his hand of protection off of me. And I saw, I lived wickedness,
1: unbelievable. I've seen, I've done unspeakable things. uh,
2: I have friends here in the audience Family that have seen the worst in me, and they've seen, watched me grow. They've seen the change come about in me over the last decade plus. Because of my violent acts and choices that I made in prison, I ended up in a hole many times, too numerous to count. The hole is not a pleasant place. It's four concrete walls, a concrete bunk, and a toilet. And Sometimes you're lucky enough to get a pair of underwear,
1: and that's it. But in that time of correction, as they call it,
2: I could hear the voice of God. I got rid of all the chaos in my life, all the stuff that I was running from and running to, and God slowly began to speak to me. And there was one particular time I was in
1: a hole I was going to be there for a long time Uh, and I got a Bible I began to read the Bible and I read it all the way through and I read it all the way through again and the Holy Spirit began to speak to me in those words in those words I read the New Testament I read the New Testament again I was there a long time (laughs) <laughs> and God broke my heart while well, I was sitting there in a hole in this concrete box I was crying,
2: I was weeping I said, God, you got me I'm all in you got me top to bottom, side to side, front to back I won't back up and I won't back down anymore I will proclaim your word with every breath that I've got and from that day forward it was like the Holy Spirit gave me a dose of miracle Grow. And I haven't been able to shut up about Jesus Christ. I had the opportunity before my parents died to see them when they came to prison, and I apologized to them and said, You were right. You were absolutely right. God does love me.
1: And He has forgiven me. And I'm sorry for the things that I said. At this time, I was still looking at possibly the rest of my life in prison. But I didn't care. Because I had a story to tell. And when I came out of the hole, I began to talk
2: to me about Jesus Christ. As much as I went in full force into that perversion and wickedness, God turned my life around and I went full force for Jesus Christ. Ah, Thank you. uh, (laughs) I've seen lives changed in prison. I'm a perfect example of restoration of Jesus Christ.
1: I've watched men who had dead
2: eyes, who were looking at the rest of their life in prison, be restored, and I've watched life come into them. I've seen families reunited. I've seen things that just cannot happen,
1: happen because God, because God intervened.
2: I've been in almost every prison in Washington State. Some were due to the lack of my violence, but 10 years ago, 11 years ago, it's been a little longer now, when I gave my life, it began to be a turnaround that God began to put me in different prisons because he had a mission for me. There was somebody there to speak to. Somebody there he wanted me to see.
1: Uh, Amen. I love the Lord. I was released November 29th. November twenty of last year, just five months ago. Five, uh, one day I was walking the prison yard. The
2: next day I whimsically say I was walking the wa- halls of Walmart. Travis, who's sitting in the back row, is a friend of mine. I've known him almost 30 years. He can attest to a lot of my story.
1: My family here can attest to it, some of my family's melody.
2: Uh, when I called Travis, and I said, hey, what are you doing tomorrow? He says, ah, oh, I'm not too much. A job got canceled. I said, you want to come to the prison and pick me up give me a ride home? And I think he dropped the phone because it just went silent. And uh, but that's another story of how God opened a doorway for me to get out of prison. They called me down. Uh, on the 28th, during the lockdown, during count. If you understand prison, that's, that's the wrong. They don't do anything during that time. And, and said, here, here's a bunch of papers for you to sign. And I looked at them and said, denying, I'm not signing those. They say I'm getting out of prison. So yeah. He says, no, I, I got more time to do. I'm not getting out. He says, no, you're getting out. You need to sign these. And I said, no, I'm not getting out. <laughs> And I said, you're going to have to explain this to me. And they couldn't. They just said, all we know is we got ordered to expedite your release. There's no explanation. There's no reason why I got out of prison. So when Travis came the next day to pick me up, the first stop that I had to make was to my CCO's office. I'm on parole. And she's told us, go away. I'm not ready for you come back this afternoon because you're not supposed to be out of prison. I don't even have your paperwork
1: yet. And that's been the case all the way through.
2: In order for me to get out of prison, it's required by law that I have a house, I have a residence, I have an address, I have a bed, and I have a family that's willing to sponsor me. They literally kicked me out of prison. But God, God had other plans. There was a couple of churches that I tried to go to. I had plans to go to. And that door, the doors were just shut tight. I couldn't get out. I couldn't go. And I was like, Lord, what is going on here? You know, because I love the fellowship of the church. And it just seemed like everything that I tried to do was failing. So I got online, and I looked around for church in my area. And River's Edge came up. I thought, well, I read her statement of faith, and I liked it. And so I came down here that Sunday. I walked down here early. I lived just up the street here about seven blocks. I walked down here early. I walked in the door, and I talked to Evan because I expected to be rejected. I absolutely expected to be rejected. I said, I need to talk to you. Here's my story. I he didn't even hesitate. He
1: stuck out his hand and said, you're welcome here.
2: And then a lot of the people began to ask me where I came from and, and what my story was, and I was vague and I was elusive because I was ashamed of my background. I was ashamed of what I'd done. I was ashamed
1: of prison. And Satan wanted me to live in that shame. He wanted me back in the shadows. He didn't want my story getting out of God's love and redemption, His forgiveness.
2: And so I set up an appointment to talk to Matt. And Matt and I sat down, and I gave him three hours of my story, a lot more detailed than what you're getting here now. And he told me the same thing. He says, you're welcome here. He says, I'll bet you I'll make sure that
1: You are who you say you are, which I expected. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be a part of this church. You all have welcomed me in. You haven't shunned me. I thank you for your love. If any of you are trapped in any type of addiction, there is a way out.
2: There's one way out. His name is Jesus Christ. I was in a prison that I built of my own with pornography and addiction. Then I ended up in a prison with walls and concrete that you could see. Jesus Christ broke down both those walls and reached in and pulled me out and saved me and restored me. I'd like to say if He can do it to me, He
1: can do it to anybody. He loves you.
2: Jesus Christ is real. If you want to talk about anything, I'm available, because I understand addiction. I understand prison walls. I understand barriers. And God has put me here for a mission,
1: for a purpose. And I just love the Lord.
2: Thank you for your time. Thank you for hearing my story.
0: Thanks so much, David, for uh, sharing that. Just a few thoughts uh, before we head to communion, uh, and one of them is that uh, when I first met David and and did you know the long story and heard about him, the first thing that popped into my mind was actually Paul. Uh, and those of you who know the backstory of of Paul, uh, he was persecuting Christians. He um, put people in prison. He uh, split apart families. He oversaw the execution of innocent people. Uh, people were, you know, killed by him. And then he encountered the Lord. He encountered the resurrected Jesus. And Jesus said, hey, you come, you follow me. And similar to Peter, you know, go and feed my sheep. I'm, I'm raising you up to be a leader for the sake of my kingdom. And if you know the, how the story unfolded in the book of Acts, that there were, there were people, there were churches who were afraid of Paul because they knew, oh, no, no, I know this guy. I know what he's done. We can't trust this guy. And so they turned, I'm sure there were churches that turned Paul away. They were like, no, we we can't trust you. We know who you are. We know what you've done. Uh, And I just got that same image with David. And I was thinking about those churches, some of those first churches that were around in the early days. Some of them missed what God was doing some of them missed the blessing by failing to receive Paul. And and here's Paul saying, no, I'm a new creation. Like the old person is literally dead and done away with. But people couldn't grasp that. Uh, And thankfully, Paul kept going and kept going and was received by many churches and ended up writing half the books in the New Testament. And a lot of what we understand about God's grace came from Paul and from the churches that received Paul and that he wrote to about them. So I really saw that in in David's story I just want to affirm publicly, David, what a blessing you've been to me and to our community since you've been here. Uh, it's been amazing. I think we've benefited more than, than he has uh, from him being a part of this. And the other thing that I want to affirm is that like Paul and like Peter, both of whom were restored from a dark place to following him, uh, David, I really think that The Lord's uh, given you a a calling, a mantle of leadership for the kingdom of God, that just like Peter in the story, says, do you love me, David? Feed my sheep. Do you love me, David? Feed my sheep. So I just want to affirm that I see that in you, and we're excited to walk with you and see the ways that kingdom leadership gets expressed in the world uh, in the years that lie ahead. Uh, But in the meantime... Uh, We're going to worship together. We're going to celebrate the reality of Jesus crucified and the reality of the empty tomb uh, through communion and through uh, worshiping through song. Uh, Jesus is alive. He rescues and he saves. And I think we all have people that we know who we think, yeah, but not that person. Now, that person is too far gone. Jesus couldn't reach them. And yet... Through testimonies, through what we read about in Scripture, we see over, over and over again, no, that person's not too far gone. That family's not too far gone. That culture, that city, that whatever it is, is not beyond the power and grace of God. Uh, so we're going to celebrate that as well. I'm going to pray for us, and then uh, the communion tables are going to be open over the course of this next song. Uh, If you've already given yourself, uh, given your life to Jesus, you're a follower of Jesus, this is for you. And over the course of this next song, everyone's invited to come, grab the bread, dip it in the cup, and hold on to it. We're going to take it all together as a family after this next song. First, I'm going to pray. Jesus, we thank you that we...